You are listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with me, your host, Rachel G. Scott. This podcast is dedicated to inspiring you to take bold leaps of faith as we hear the powerful stories of both men and women from different industries and walks of life who obey God and took risks in exchange for heaven's rewards. As you listen, my hope is that their stories will give you the confidence you need to trust God as he leads you to your next leap. Now, let's learn a little about our next guest. Today, Rachel is speaking with Jordan Rayner, a serial entrepreneur and national best-selling author of Culture Create, Master of One, and Redeeming Your Time. He's also a husband and father of three girls. Today, Jordan helps to remind us that because our identity and salvation is in Christ, we are able to take the biggest leaps of all. And he also shares with us how to leap well through honoring the time that God has given us. We hope you're ready to take back your time again. Now, let's jump in. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. Ah, it's a joy to be with you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So let's just start off with you telling the audience, the listeners, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Jordan Rayner, and my mission in life is to help Christians connect the gospel to the work that they do in the world, whether they're writers or entrepreneurs or marketers or plumbers or stay-at-home parents. I believe that scripture is clear that the work we do is one of the most significant things we do in advancing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So that's my overriding passion. I fulfill that mission through writing books, podcasting, producing content that helps Christians understand these ideas. Uh, Before doing this work, I've been doing this work full-time now for, I guess, going on two and a half years. Before that, I spent 10 years as a serial tech entrepreneur started and sold a couple of different ventures, raised a bunch of venture capital, did that whole song and dance for a while, which I loved. But yeah, I'm full-time dedicated to this work today. And personally, I've been married to my wife, Kara, now for 12 years. And we got three beautiful little babies. We got three girls, seven, five, and almost two. So that's my life. It's a crazy time of life. Right. Those are the fun ages right yeah. there. Yeah. So, fun, okay. Fun, fun's, fun's one word. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ages. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your transition? Because prior to joining Reynard and Company, right, you had several other ventures that you had to transition in and out of. Can you just give us a little bit of backstory about those? Yeah, so I'll talk about probably the most significant leap I've ever made professionally before focusing on the work I'm focused on right now at Jordan Rainer and Company. I was running a very well-funded tech startup called Threshold, and it was a blast. It was kind of the entrepreneurial dream job. I was not the founder, which is weird for me. I was, I was recruited 18 months into the business to be the business's second CEO, but I was the one who brought the company to market. You know, We, we figured out what our initial traction was going to be. During my tenure as CEO, we grew the team from five people to like 120-ish people uh, that relied on us for income. And it was a blast. Like we were growing like crazy. But <laughs> uh, at the same time I was running that business as CEO, my first book came out. Uh, this book called called The Create was released in November of 2017. That was a year into my tenure as CEO. And it just started growing like a weed as well. So now I had these two wonderful gifts in my hand professionally. I threshold this high growth tech startup in the one hand and and, and this book uh, in the other. And I don't know, just somewhere along the way, I got convicted that, yeah, I can continue to do both of these well for a little while, but long term, 
I got to pick. I got to choose. If I believe that my work is primarily service to others and not about my own happiness, then I got to put all of my eggs in one of these two baskets. And I had a lot of people tell me I was crazy, but looking back, I think it was 100% the right call. So I spent a year looking for my replacement as CEO of that company and found a great leader who's still running that business today as CEO. I'm chairman of the board, so I'm still somewhat involved, right. uh, but very, very minimally. Today, I'm focused all my energies uh, around this mission of helping Christians connect the gospel to their work. But making that leap isn't easy, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of risk. But a lot of times I think in the church, we try to, we're constantly trying to mitigate risk, trying to get risk down to zero. There's no such thing. Everything is risky, right? It's something I learned as I made that leap, right? So just getting comfortable kind of stepping out into the unknown, kind of like Abraham, right? Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 11. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Right. He just knew it was called to go. That's kind of how I felt, right? I, I knew vaguely what I was going to be doing when I left the CEO threshold, but I didn't know concretely at all, but I felt the Lord urging me to leave anyway. Now, I, I love that. And I love something that you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, which was you were writing your book while you yeah. were the CEO. Yeah. How? Because both <laughs> of those are huge undertakings. Yeah. They're massive. And so you're writing a whole book. Mm-hmm. And so how did you balance that season? I get this question a lot <laughs> uh, from aspiring writers. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that were critical to making this work. Number one, I wrote every single day committed to writing every single day. Number two, I wrote at the same time every day, right? So I, I would, you know, during the season of life, I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I'd be at my desk in downtown Tampa at 5.15 a.m. And I would write from 5.15 to 6.45. And then I think this is a really important habit. I would go for a walk out of the office to have a clean break physically between my work as a writer and my work as CEO of Threshold. So I would go take a walk. I'd walk to my favorite coffee shop. I'd grab a cup of coffee. I would come back. And when I came back, I was fully focused on the incredibly hard work uh, of, of running that company day to day. So much so that I wouldn't even look at my personal email throughout the day. Because I knew that if I did, I'd be distracted. I'd be thinking right. about, oh, did my agent email me an offer from a new publisher whatever? Uh, so I just said, I'm not going to do that. I'll check it at the end of my writing block. And then after that, I'm full-time focused on that thing. I'll tell you what, Rachel, I think a lot of people in that situation, and I certainly felt like this too, when I was there, think, ah, man, um, it's such a burden only having 90 minutes or an hour, whatever it is you have to work uh, a day. I, in retrospect, see it as an immense blessing. That constraint forces you to be incredibly selective about what you're doing with that time. It forces you to be incredibly disciplined in honoring that time and doing the work and putting the reps every single day. So looking back on it, I saw that as an incredible win. And ironically, uh, you know, that book that was called The Create, that's done better. That did better than my second book, right? And I had that constraint. Yeah. My second book, I had all the time in the world to market it, right? I was, you know, I was doing this work full time. I was on podcasts all the time. And I mean, the book did very well. Master of One did well. Uh, it did, but but Call to Create did better. And I I think there's a lesson in that, right? Constraints breed essentialism. 
Mm. right? Constraints force you to identify the signal in the noise and ignore everything else. And in that sense, it's a great gift for anybody who's wanting to make a leap like that. That is so, that's so powerful. And even as you were talking, I'm just thinking of so many people that are trying to balance this season, what I would call a tent maker season, but not realizing that those constraints is exactly what they need, where sometimes we feel burdened by them because they can feel like a burden, like, oh, this is all I have. But rather than that, really looking at that as a blessing and an opportunity to really focus your attention in, get rid of all the noise and focus on what you're supposed to be doing. So now you're transitioning, you transition from working on the book, yep. the CEO position, and you didn't quite know what you were going into, but you yeah. knew it was going to be centered around the book. How did you begin to cultivate yeah. the deeper picture? Yeah, it's a good question. I tell people, so here's all I knew. I knew I had a book that did really well and my email list was growing and I knew what the core mission was. I knew I wanted to spend really the rest of my life, helping Christians connect the gospel to their work. As I said a few minutes ago, but that's really broad. That's really vague. I didn't have a lot of specifics. I had a book deal from Random House for my second book, right? So financially that provided quite a bit of runway for me to be able to make that leap. But beyond that, I didn't know exactly what this is going to look like. I didn't have a podcast in mind. I didn't have all these other things in mind that we're now doing to Jordan Rainer and company. But honestly, Rachel, I didn't have a vision for it, number one, because I didn't have time to cultivate that vision. And number two, because I think it would have been mentally impossible for me to get there while I still had such a demanding role consuming, you know, 50 hours of my week as CEO of Threshold. I I have a friend who's transitioning out of a company right now that he's been running for 15 years. And he's like, I know I need a transition. I'm just really nervous because I don't know exactly what's coming next. And my advice to him has been, you're not going to know until you leave. You'll have ideas, you'll have clues, you'll know directionally where you're going, or at least you should, but you're not going to know what the roadmap looks like. At some point, you just got to take the leap, right? And decide to go do this thing. So let me ask you, why do you think we don't find out until we get out there? Like, just from your experience, what do you think is the the reason why we don't get more details prior to make us feel more secure in the leap? Yeah, listen, going back to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith uh, that, that we call it. it's because it cultivates faith and reliance on the Lord, right? I think there's this idea that has been pervasive in the church recently that I, I am just intent on dismantling, which is just this idea that like you're not supposed to make a move until you, quote, feel a sense of peace, right? Like I, I'm, I'm waiting around till I feel a sense of peace to go do this thing. I would challenge anybody to find this in in scripture. There's a verse where it talks about the peace of God, which will transcend all all understanding. And usually that's what people point to when they utter this statement. But the the word Paul uses there for the word peace is the peace that comes with salvation. It's the same peace he references in Romans 5.1 saying we have peace with God. So he's saying, yeah, there's peace that transcends all understanding. It's the peace that you have that regardless of what happens when you take this leap, your salvation, your status as an adopted child of God is irrevocably secure, right? And that's what enables us to risk, to step out in faith, knowing that regardless of the outcome, we are loved, we are cherished, we're children of God. Now, that doesn't mean we risk dumbly. We should use our God-given brains, right, to make a plan, to make the leap financially viable for us, for the people who rely on us, et cetera. But 
this idea that one day we're going to wake up and magically feel like, oh my gosh, this is exactly it. I'm a hundred percent confident of it. And I have no fear to do it. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. I I, I don't know where we got this idea. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That is so common. And people ask me all the time, like, well, I'm just going to wait. It's this waiting game. I'm going to wait until I feel ready or I feel like it's, it's a safe time. That's not when it happens. It is that faith that we have to walk in. And we have some idea because even when you transitioned, you knew writing books was still going to be a part of what you were doing. It's just the whole picture. Didn't you didn't get the whole picture. Now I want to ask you, having done been a CEO of one company versus the CEO of your own company, do you feel like risk feels the same or does it feel heavier under your own? It feels different. I don't know that it feels any heavier because when you're, Running somebody else's business, especially one that has raised a lot of money, uh, a lot of capital, there can be this immense pressure of, uh, in a healthy way, of I want to steward this wealth really well. I want to steward the investments, the parable of the talents, right? I, I want to steward the talents these guys have given me, these women have given me really, really well. When it's you, it is a different pressure, right? Because now you're making the calls. You're deciding where to deploy your capital, whether that's financial or time or whatever. So I, I wouldn't say it's greater or less. I would just say it's a bit, uh, it's a bit different of a, of, a, of a dynamic. Yeah, that makes sense. Because in my mind, I'm like, it will be a little bit heavier over here. But yeah. really what you're saying makes sense. Either way, it's about stewardship. And it's about making sure that with whatever I'm given, I am honoring. But you said something that I love and I want to lean into this because you just came out with the redeeming the time book Yeah, and a big portion of leaping well to me is how we use our time, which I will say, this is a, this is why I'm reading the book (laughs) because this is a challenge for so many, because over here, my time was determined for me. You get here at eight, you leave at five. This is what you do in between there. But during a leap like this, I have to be the person who is in control of the time. How do I make that transition? Yeah, it's a huge transition you have to make. Uh, there's there's a, a line from Lord of the Rings. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, like, let's take Hey-o. it or leave it. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but there's a great line where Gandalf says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time. It's like, yeah, all we have to decide. Yeah, th- like that's the whole game, right? It's the whole thing. And so this is critical to figure out. And this is part of the reason why I wrote this book, Redeeming Your Time. You know, I've always been a pretty disciplined guy. I've always been obsessed with time management, just interested in how to steward one's time optimally well. To As Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, redeem the time because the days are evil. In other words, buy up as much time as you can because we're running out of the time to do the work the Father's called us to do. So I've read, I don't know, 45 books on time management over the course of my career. And, you know, I have two really big problems with them that I think answer your question as to how should we think about this. You know, number one, a lot of these books are centered on what I would call works-based productivity, right? If, if your listeners have ever read a time management book, I can almost guarantee that the message from this supposed guru is, listen, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling swamped. The path to peace is found in implementing my system. If you do steps one, two, and three, then you will find peace. As Christ followers, we start with the opposite premise. That that premise is nonsense. We have grace-based productivity, which says that through Jesus Christ, we already have 
peace with God. I just quoted Romans 5.1. We right. have peace with God that is secure. And we do time management exercises one, two, and three as a response of worship. That's a radically different place to start yeah. from. So that's my first problem with these books. The second problem is that you know all of these time management books, even the bestsellers in this category, fail to account for how the author of time managed his time. When he mm-hmm. came to earth in bodily form in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ, you know, Christian or not, I think it's really hard to dispute that Jesus was the most productive person who has ever lived. And yet none of these time management books study how he walked. And people, people don't think that the gospels have a lot to say about how Jesus managed his time, but they do. We forget the gospels are not there just for theology and ethics. They are biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, they don't show him walking around with a to-do list or a calendar, but they do show him fighting distractions at work while he's preaching, fighting for solitude, trying to be busy without being hurried. And so as I started to think about, all right, if my mission is to help Christians connect the gospel to their work so that they can do great work for the glory of God and good of others, I got to write something on this topic because time is all that we have to decide what to do with. But I thought, you know what, I don't want to be writing on hacks that are here today and gone tomorrow. Let's look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, and let's pull out these seven timeless time management principles uh, that can help us redeem our time to be purposeful, present, and productive just like Jesus. So that's that's the idea of the book. Uh, and the reason why I wrote it is because we all need a model for how to be productive and how to be present and how to be purposeful. And I think the ideal model is Christ himself. Absolutely. It reminds me of what I tell my kids all the time. When they're doing things, I'm like, look, I'm telling you this and I'll share something from the Bible. I'm like, I'm not the standard. God is. So you took that very concept and you said, I'm not the standard of time management. Yes. That is. I, and I, I love that. I want to backtrack a little bit to something you said yeah. about you being disciplined, because I think that this is where the challenge comes in, is that a lot of people struggle with just discipline, especially yeah. when they're transitioning out of one place into another. So what is something you would say to someone who the discipline of committing to something is the challenge? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this question. Here's what I would say. Please hear me, listener. Discipline can be learned. Can absolutely be learned. I'll give you one heck of a case study. It's a guy named William Wilberforce, who your audience might be familiar with. Easily one of the most productive human beings who has ever lived. Wilberforce, if if you're not familiar with this story, is chiefly responsible for abolishing the slave trade throughout the British Empire in 1807. But here's the deal. Wilberforce, before his conversion to Christianity, was, in his own words, quote, constitutionally weak with regards to self-discipline, end quote, right? And yet he became one of the most productive people in the world. And here's why. So it's fascinating. He got saved when he was 20, I believe he was 26. I tell the story uh, in my book, Redeeming Your Time. He got saved when he was 26. He was already in parliament, right? So he's already pretty impressive guy. He's already in the British parliament, but he almost drops out because he's like, Hey, listen, I'm a Christian now. Shouldn't I go be a a priest or a missionary or whatever? And John Newton, the pastor who wrote Amazing Grace, the hymn we love, Amazing Grace, they were friends. And Newton told him, no, you don't drop out of parliament, right? You just change the way you work in parliament. And for Wilberforce, 
His conversion to Christianity led to two major changes in his life and work. Number one, the object of his business in politics was no longer his own power, but abolishing the slave trade. And number two, he got super intentional about how he stewarded his time. And he learned how to be disciplined in order to steward the life that God had given him to steward. So what I would say to the listener who's sitting there like, I'm not that disciplined. It absolutely can be learned. And I wrote this book for you to teach you what I have been taught, what's been graciously shown to me of here is what it looks like to redeem our time in the model of our redeemer right now in the 21st century. Oh, I love that. And that thought in itself, being able to learn to be disciplined can seem a bit heavy or overwhelming at times, but your, your resource, your book actually addresses that and it paces itself too, which is something that I love. You know, when I think about discipline, we think about I have to discipline my kids, which I, I like to say disciple, like, cause that's really what I'm doing. There you I'm go. That's good. My kids. I like that. And I'm waiting and it's taking like such a long time. Do you find that it takes a while or do you find that it needs to kind of be, let's work on one thing at a time, then the next thing, the next thing. And yeah. then, then you, you become disciplined in the area. Of course it takes time, right? I, so I, I mentioned, I've read about 45 books on time management over the course of my career. You know what every single one of them tells you in the introduction? What? That solving your time management problems is going to be easy. BS. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like it's not, if it were easy, everybody would be managing their time. Right. Well, this is crazy. And this is why so many people get frustrated when they read anything in this category. It's like, ah, they told me it was going to be easy. I'm having a hard time. Man, I must be the problem. You're not the problem. Sin is the problem. We still live in a fallen world. You can have the best tools in the world at your disposal. And because we still live under the curse, it is always going to be difficult. Genesis 3 promises us this, right? Painful will our toil be until we return to the earth, right? So have grace with yourself and go one step at a time. You know, Rachel, you've seen an advanced copy of the book. You know that the book is centered around these seven principles from the life of Christ and 32 hyper- practical practices to help us live out those principles today. That's 32 opportunities to redeem your time. One of them can change your life. If you get more than one, you're just going gangbusters. One of my favorite things I've seen in the reviews for this book, I've seen it in maybe 50% of the reviews for the book is people saying, I'm starting the book again right now, immediately after I just finished it the first time, because they want to pick up more pieces of the puzzle, right? That's beautiful. As an author, that's like the ultimate compliment that somebody wants to go back, reread it and roll up their sleeves and do the work. And I'm not going to lie. It's hard freaking work. I'm not going to say what other authors said. It's not easy. It's not easy. Right. But it's worth it because at the end of the road is becoming more like Christ, being more purposeful, being more present and being more productive, not for our own fame and fortune, but for the glory of God and the good of others. Yes. And I love that. I've been quoting that for the glory of God and the good of others is just like a that's your personal mantra. That's one that I'm kind of adapting because I'm like, I'm doing this for the glory of God and the good of others. And I love that. So Amen. even as you were transitioning as CEO and, you know, be doing Joyner Raynard and Company, yeah. did that kind of form that transition for you? Yeah, it did. But I got to be careful when I tell this part of the story, because I, I think some people can hear my story and think, well, Jordan thinks that his work today producing content for the church is glorifying to God, but not the work that he did in quote unquote, secular world of tech startups. Mm -hmm. That is 
absolutely not true, absolutely unbiblical, and the very opposite of the message that I champion. Whatever job you have right now, you're running a tech startup like I was, you're a janitor, you're a teacher, your work is a means of glorifying God. What, you, we, we throw around these words in the church so much. I, I think a lot of times they lose their meaning. What does it mean to glorify God? Jo- John Piper, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners love, John Piper says to glorify is simply to reflect God's character, reflect his character to the world, right? Go open Genesis 1. God tells us one thing about himself in Genesis 1. He doesn't tell us that he is holy or loving or omnipotent. He tells us that he's creative, that he works, that he's productive. So just by going to work and doing your work with excellence and with love, you're glorifying God, right? So that, that's a long-winded answer to your question of how I was thinking about this. But that's the message here, that we're go- whatever you do, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, do it all for the glory of God. And that includes the job you have today and the job or the career or the venture, or the book, whatever it is that you want to leap to in the future. All of it can be done to the glory of God when done in excellence and love. That is so, so good. Thank you, Jordan. You know, I feel like, I want to ask more questions, but that right there is almost like the um, (laughs) mic drop right there. So that being said, can you tell me a moment during your transition where you saw the faithfulness of God, the hand of God, just to encourage our listeners before we leave? Yeah. My last day as CEO was a Friday and I went back the next Friday for my first one-on-one with my replacement. Uh, This guy who replaced me as CEO is a guy named Dan. And as I'm driving to the office, I'm just like, oh man, it's going to be a mess over there. I haven't been there for a week. This I, is so arrogant, right? It's like, oh my God, they can't survive without me. I walk in, I talk to, I don't know, a dozen members of my team. I was like, how are things going? They're like, great. Like, no, nah, yep. Like, no, no fires. This week. It was incredibly humbling, right? I sat down with my CEO. I was like, yeah, everything's gone off without a hitch. An incredibly humbling experience. And in that, I saw God's faithfulness, right? Because he's being faithful to his mission in the world with or without me. I think a lot of times we can arrogantly think that God needs us to fulfill a specific role in this world and for his, for his mission to prevail. That's garbage. Job 42.2 says his purposes will not be thwarted. He doesn't need you or me to do any specific job. His purposes will not be thwarted. His plans will prevail. And in that, I think a lot of people would find that demoralizing. I find it freeing, right? Because that enables me to just make a choice as to what I'm going to do in this world to try to bring God glory and trust that his plans in the end are going to be fulfilled and he's going to be faithful to all of his promises. That That's a beautiful promise to me. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Jordan, for your time and for sharing all the amazing nuggets. Can you please tell my listeners where they can find you? I'm easy to find. JordanRaynor.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. You can find the books there and also a bunch of free resources. We have a weekly devotional called The Word Before Work that I send out to about 150,000 Christ followers all over the world. It's free. Got my podcast, The Call to Mastery there, where we talk to a Christian in a different vocational field every week about what they do and how their work is shaped by the gospel. Uh, Lots of free content for your listeners there. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, you all, you are going to want to follow Jordan. I have been following Jordan for some years now. 
and he has blessed my life in so many ways. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode. I hope you enjoy what you heard and you're even more encouraged to trust God with your next week. Before you go, I want to invite you to visit thefiveleaps.com to learn more about upcoming guests, get helpful resources to help you prepare to take your next leap and join the Taking the Leap membership community. And don't forget to text podcast to 216-279-7174 for weekly reminders and more personalized leap support. Enjoy the rest of your day. And remember, God can do more with our willingness than he could ever do with our worthiness.